Hey, good morning. I'm Jake, and I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration Church. Thanks for catching our stream and being part of Restoration Church Online. I want to start this morning off with something a little bit about myself. Recently, I was having a conversation with my oldest son, who just turned five, and we were talking about superheroes. We were talking about heroes. We were just talking about kind of what makes a good hero, and he stops, and he says, Dad, do you have a hero? Now, I have to admit that I almost always struggle with answering this question because I always think that there's just too many people in the world who've done good things in our world, impacting our world with their lives. And as I processed answering, I thought about someone and I finally was sold on, on this person as being my hero, and this is Dan Fitzgerald. Now, some of you watching this morning may not know who Dan is, but for many at Restoration, we have fond memories of Dan over the course of the seven years that he was here at Restoration Church. He passed away earlier this year, uh, just before everything was getting locked down uh, with COVID. But as I think about his life, and there are just many things about his life that just tells me that he's a hero. I've greatly admired his uh, love for Jesus, his love for his wife, Joy, uh, his faith, his faithfulness to the ministry of, 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 of Christ. And so there's so many things, but these are just a few that came to mind. But I think what solidified him in my mind as a hero is how he lived his life in spite of suffering. The entire time that I knew Dan, he suffered from bone cancer. I saw him have some really good days, and I saw him have some really hard days. But in those hard days, he never wavered in his love for Jesus. I met with him just as he was being put on hospice, and he never complained about his pain. He never complained about his suffering. He never said, woe is me for experiencing this. Instead, the last conversation I had with him was, was about heaven, was about Jesus, was about being with Jesus, was about Restoration Church worshiping in heaven with Jesus. Not at all about the pain, not at all about his suffering. You see, in spite of the pain that he experienced in the time that I knew him, he always had a way to bring the conversation back to Jesus. As we look at 2020, this has been such a hard year for us. In fact, I was reading an article just yesterday saying that Yakima County suicides have risen by 30% since last year. It went on to say that the numbers that we see in Yakima County are reflective of what is happening at the national level. When I read it, my heart sank. There's so many depressed, so many stressed, so many anxious and worried. People are pent up in their homes, unable to live a normal life, and it's adding to the, the already difficult circumstances that many people have already been experiencing before corona. And I think these past few months have only made suffering worse. We've seen uh, the season result in higher divorce rates and broken family relationships, people losing friendships these past few months. Our mental and physical health has seen a sharp decline. I think it's been hard for many of us to find joy with everything that's been happening in the world. Some of us have been asking, why is God allowing this? Or how long is this going to last? These are certainly good questions to ask, but I think asking these questions shows that our perspective is not uh, on eternal. We are, we are thinking about what is immediate, not what's on the ultimate. See, we are focusing on what's happening today, what's not going to, and not what's happening tomorrow. 
And this is where we find the disciples in our passage today. Jesus told his disciples that he's leaving to go to the Father, meaning he's going to die. The disciples understood what he meant, and they are filled with sorrow. They're filled with pain before his death. And so even though they are filled with sorrow, Jesus tells his disciples these things because he wants them to have an eternal perspective on how short their pain really is. Our series this summer has been Last Words, and we've been focusing on, on cha John chapters 13 through 17, recounting Jesus' last five hours with his disciples before his arrest, before his death, before his burial, and before his resurrection. Jesus told his disciples these words as he was wanting to comfort them, wanting to bring them hope for what's happening. And so today we see how Jesus is working through the disciples' pain that they are experiencing now. Jesus starts with a very confusing thing about time. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again, a little while and you will see me. I'm not going to lie, when I first read this passage, I wasn't sure what Jesus was saying here. And so if I'm lost, I can only imagine that the disciples were more lost. Just look at their response in verse 17. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Sometimes I think for me it's comforting to see that the disciples are just like us. They didn't understand everything that Jesus said all of the time. And so he's speaking in figure of speech to his disciples. He wanted them to question. He wanted them to be confused. And we know this because of verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. See, the little while reveals how God views time, how Jesus uses that phrase. But he wants us to see that his timing is not like our timing. The psalmist says, a thousand years is but a day for the Lord. And the Bible is clear that God's timing is not our own. So he wants his disciples not to be focused on their immediate circumstances. He wants them to be thinking eternally. He wants them to live with eager expectation of his ultimate return. Even though they're filled with sorrow over Jesus' death in a matter of hours. If you haven't noticed, it seems like Jesus talks a lot about his death, especially in these four chapters we've been looking at this summer. The constant discussion of Jesus' death, though, should key us into his character, into his heart for his people. See, Jesus is always concerned about the encouragement, the comfort, and joy of his people, which is why he has promised to send the Holy Spirit who comforts, who encourages, who ministers to us Christians. But most importantly, Jesus wants us to have hope in his power, hope in light of his resurrection. So it's an opportunity for us today to place our trust in Jesus, to place everything that we all, everything that we are, all of our hopes, all of our beliefs in Him, and trust Him completely. In trusting Him, we find that we have that eternal perspective that that Jesus wants us to have when we're facing our trials, when we're facing the, the our current circumstances, our pain. But I want to say is this doesn't mean that Jesus wants to minimize our current the current pain that we're experiencing in our lives. But it's an opportunity for us to find joy, not in the absence of pain, but amidst it. And so for disciples losing Jesus, it's going to be big. They're going to suffer, and the world will rejoice at Jesus' death. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to, do, say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. 
See, Jesus is emphasizing his death to the disciples that is going to bring a hardship to them. They're already grieving the idea of losing Jesus. Him dying is only going to add to that sorrow, add to that pain. They're going to experience not just pain from Jesus departing, but they're going to experience pain from the world. See, Jesus is referring to the world system, the, the nature of the world. He's talking specifically about Satan and sin, how it has impacted every country, every culture on the face of the earth. And the world is bent on rejecting God and loving self over God. And this is how he defines the world. So the world rejoices because they think that Jesus is killed. They think that his death means that he's lost. And if Jesus is lost, it means that, it means that the disciples have lost also. So the thing that is causing the disciples immediate pain is in the thought of losing Jesus. It is his death. So the thing about the disciples is they understood Jesus was going to die. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to raise from the dead. And so the world looks like it's going to reign supreme over Jesus' death. But the reality is that Jesus rose from the dead. The world is not reigning supreme as it thinks it does. And so he transforms the world's joy into sorrow, but it's his resurrection that has demonstrated his power over sin, over death. But here's the beauty of the gospel, verse 20. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Did you catch that? Jesus isn't saying our sorrow, our pain will be replaced with joy, meaning he's going to take our pain away and give us joy. No, he says that the very thing causing us pain is going to be our joy. So quite literally, God is using the gospel to transform our pain into joy. To prove his point, Jesus gives an analogy of a woman giving birth. Verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Moms, I'm sure you can relate to this analogy. Labor is hard. It, for many, it can take hours. It's extremely painful. It's a huge stress on the mother's body. It's a huge stress on, on the baby. And not even until the last 100 years has childbirth even been safe. It has always been dangerous. There's a high likelihood that mom or the baby will, will suffer, will, will die as a result. Even still, like with modern medicine, we still find that there's still a high chance of, of long-term pain, of long-term suffering. And so it's no surprise that as you talk to some moms, they say that they are done having kids after one or two. It's painful. It's hard work. But I also find it interesting that babies are referred to as bundles of joy. Not many find joy in labor. In fact, I know some women who dreaded the idea of giving birth. But babies are a source of joy. We find tremendous joy in kids, even though they're a lot of work at times. So Jesus is saying that the same child who was the source of pain for the mom is also a source of joy for the mom, meaning that Jesus transforms our pain into joy. 
in the immediate context, the disciples are sorrowful. They're, they're experiencing pain, grief, loss of Jesus' death. And his death is going to be that source of pain. Within just a few hours, Jesus is going to be killed. In a matter of hours, the disciples are going to be in hiding, fearful for their life. So Jesus' death causes them to experience great, tremendous fear that they're going to be killed by, by the world. But once they see the resurrected Jesus, his death is no longer a source of pain for them. The resurrection emboldens the disciples in profound ways. They are transformed from hiding in fear, thinking that people are going to kill them, to boldly proclaiming the hope that they have in Jesus, regardless of if they face persecution or death. Why? What changed? God had undone the power of death. He had undone the sting of sin. And they have this hope in Jesus because he stands victorious through his resurrection. He transformed the disciples' pain into joy. And so for us, the cross is a source of joy for us, which is a symbol of, of crucifixion, a symbol of death, a symbol of pain, is now a symbol of life for us. And so all of that guilt, all of that condemnation, all of that sin that we experienced before Christ have all been wiped away and we've been given eternal life. We've been given the righteousness of Christ simply through believing in his completed work. When we trust in Jesus, when we put our belief in him, we get the same joy that was promised to the disciples. For us and for the disciples, this joy is unshakable. Verse 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Thinking back to Dan Fitzgerald and the time that I knew him, he had persistent pain and suffering in his body, yet he never ceased to give a reason for the hope that he has in Jesus. His body was full of pain, yet his spirit was full of an even greater joy. And this was because of Jesus' resurrection. This is, in the time that I knew Dan, nothing was able to take away his joy. To make it personal for us, nothing can ever take our joy either when we placed our trust in Jesus. It's not that wandering child. It's not that estrangement from a family member. It's not that bad doctor's report. It's not COVID. It's not even the political climate that we see in our world right now. There's nothing that can steal our joy knowing that we are secure in Christ. He has redeemed our pain and our sorrow, not by taking it away, but by transforming it into joy and making it beautiful. So the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that is residing in your life, redeeming your brokenness for his glory. God uses the gospel to transform our pain into joy. It gives us hope that regardless of what happens tomorrow, that God is still in control, that God is still good, and that God is still working in our lives. Not only did Jesus give us this lasting joy, but, it tells, but he tells us how this joy affects our relationship with him. See, Jesus creates unshakable joy uh, 
in our lives in two specific, two specific ways. The first is certainty and understanding, and the second is joy in big prayers. First, certainty and understanding. Verse 23, in that day you will ask nothing of me. It doesn't mean that we don't pray. In fact, the next verse is an invitation for us to pray big, to pray boldly. But unlike the disciples, we won't be confused what's happening in our lives. We don't need to ask for clarification. Because the experience that we, the pain that we're experiencing now uh, is, is only temporary. We are able to have eternal perspective. We don't, have to, we don't have to ask how long. We don't have to ask why is this happening. We know and we are certain that God is working out all things for the good of those who love him. We have certainty that the pain that we experience now is temporary, whereas the glory that we will experience forever is, is permanent. So the certainty that we know why things are happening, why we are experiencing pain, it's because of sin. Jesus promises us that we will experience troubles. The troubles are akin to being part of human. And so Jesus is telling us that we will experience pain, we will experience uh, hurt in this world, but he tells us that he is with us. And so this certainty, knowing that he is with us, knowing that he cares for us, leads us to have joy in our prayers. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of me in my name, he will give it to you, meaning the Father. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. See, knowing that Christ is coming back, knowing that his resurrection power has completely transformed our lives and our world, this should cause us to boldly pray in his name. Hebrews 4 tells us to boldly approach the throne of grace and bring our petitions before God, our Father. As we are God's children, we're invited to make bold prayers for our world, for his kingdom, for people to come and know him. We are invited to do this, and when we see that he answers our prayers, when he, we, we see that he responds, our hope is further secured, and our joy is made full in the character and the work of God. And through that, we find strength to face each day, knowing that all of this power is coming from Jesus' resurrection. We need to understand that Jesus' resurrection is the single greatest day in human history. The immediate application for the disciples was that this message was designed to comfort them to comfort their pain in the midst of losing Jesus to, to death. But the ultimate application for us, all of God's people, is to cause us to eagerly await for the return of Christ. While we're waiting for that return, we must recognize that God is transforming our pain into joy. So the present pain that we experience, it pales in comparison to the lasting glory that's coming. Jesus is powerful enough to transform our pain into joy, and he's doing that right now. It raises the question for us, how has God transformed your pain into joy? I think it starts by us looking at trials differently. James 1 says, count it all joy when you're facing trials of various kinds, knowing that God uses this pain, these trials, to produce character in us. These trials create an opportunity for us to trust God, to see how he's moving. For me, I went through almost two years of being homeless. 
In the midst of that pain, I was angry at God. I questioned his goodness. I questioned his sovereignty. I wanted nothing to do with him. I wanted nothing to do with his people. Yet through his word and through love that believers showed me, man, God turned my pain into joy, causing me to trust him in whatever I faced. But it also changed the hatred I had for the church and he turned it into a deep love for the church. So in my mind, the thing that I felt was causing me some kind of pain was the very thing that now I find complete and total joy in. So the reality for us is we often, it's often hard for us to see what God is doing in our lives. If we've placed our faith in Jesus, he is transforming our pain into joy right now. Beauty in this is that God takes our mess, the mess of our life and he gives us a message. Think about your past experiences and reflect on how God has transformed the sting of divorce, the sting of, of loneliness, and where you can now find community, you can find meaningful relationships. Think about the transformation of, from being addicted to drugs, alcohol, whatever, and to the transformation of a restored life, of healing, of restored relationships that were broken. Even think about the pain of being sexually abused and, and the Lord using that to, to transform you, to be able to reclaim what has been taken from you. Let me say, this is all by the power of the resurrection that didn't just rise, have Jesus rise from the dead 2,000 years ago, but it is active and it is moving in our life right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he uses his, God uses Jesus' resurrection to create hope in us. And this hope transforms the very things that, that brought pain and he turns it into joy. And this is the gospel at work in our lives right now. You may not feel like you see God moving right now, but he is at work in our world and in our lives. For those of you struggling to see what God is doing, I have three verses for you to meditate on, to pray over, to write out, to post on social media as a reminder to you and to others. The first verse is Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. That's Philippians 1, 6. The second verse is 1 Timothy 4, 10. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially for those who believe. That's 1 Timothy 4, 10. And then the third one is Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his promise. And that's Romans 8.28. Write those down and then go back later. Write them out. Pray over them and ask that the Lord would, would show and make these verses your life verses where you can rest and be certain of the fact that God is moving in your life. See, these promises are designed to comfort us, to give us joy for what we're facing right now, to give us the perspective that Jesus is coming back, that the pain that we are experiencing now is temporary, but the glory that is coming is forever. 
And knowing this and understanding how God is working gives us that eternal perspective to have joy to face our trials today. But a key marker of joy is that we just can't stop talking about it. What happened to the disciples was they experienced the joy of the res resurrection, and that caused them to boldly proclaim in the world that Christ is risen, that Christ is the message, that Christ is the hope that people have been looking for. And so where we are right now, we can see that Christ has been working and moving in our lives through his resurrection, and it's Christ's work that points us to who we used to be and who we are now, and it's all because of Jesus. So truthfully, now more than ever, we are able to proclaim what God has done in our lives. If you haven't noticed, we're in the middle of a pandemic. The COVID has exposed lots of suffering in our world. And this has been a difficult season, regardless of how we, how, how we feel about how we got here. We're in the middle of a mental health crisis right now. And let me say, we have the solution to that problem. We have the message of hope the world desperately needs. We have the message of the resurrected Jesus. So we have this unique opportunity to minister to the world around us. And I heard this idea this week. Don't end your conversation saying, strange times we're living in. If I'm going to be honest, that has been kind of how I've used a filler. I don't, I don't know what to say next. And so I say, crazy times, what a world we're living in, or whatever, something similar to that. And that's how we're ending our conversations. So here's a challenge for us this week. Find a creative way to end our conversations at work, on social media, on the phone, or wherever we may be to speak of the hope that we have in Jesus, both now and the future. Don't use this as an opportunity to further talk about how strange or what the new normal is, but let's focus on the hope that we have on Jesus, giving every reason to tell people of the grace that we have experienced. So tell someone some good news. Remind each other what is true. Point to some beauty and goodness that you have seen in your life lately. Or even just ask questions. Ask people, how's the Lord, what has the Lord been teaching you these past few months? Ask questions, but find a way to, to land the conversation and the hope that you have in Christ. So, Boldly proclaim what Christ has done with your words, but also you can boldly proclaim what Christ has done through your life in serving and loving others. We have an opportunity to live out and to live out the joy that we have in Christ through the blood drive happening at the seasons this Friday. Either you can donate blood or you can sign up to serve, but serving others is a way for us to boldly point to the hope that we have in Christ, to serve others, to love others. And serving others is key to what it is to be Christian. It's what Christ did for us through his death. And so we find joy in loving others in spite of the pain that we're experiencing now. Restoration Church, the power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that is residing in your lives right now. Let's pray. God, you are a good God. God, you are a gracious God. You, uh, you desire for us to, to know you. You desire for us to follow you. Lord, I pray for people who are hurting right now. 
I pray that you would comfort them. I pray for people who are angry right now. God, I pray that you would give their give them joy, give them the ability to see what you're doing. And I pray, God, that you would show them kindness. I pray, Lord, for people who are confused. I pray that you would give them clarity. I pray that you would give them uh, certainty in knowing what is going on in this world. But Lord, I pray that regardless of what is happening in our lives, that we would see your work. We would see how you are moving, how you are acting. And Lord, I pray that this season in particular would grow us to trust you, that we would rest in that opportunity to follow you. God, we love you and we thank you for the power that you have shown us through Jesus. May we rest and dwell in that power. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.